Exacto. Ladies and gentlemen, we are tonight. We are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling. And this is Jason is here. Dude, I, I swear to God, I'm not as big an asshole as it sounds like. Troy is here. Hey, I call them like I see them, all right? And Jeff is... Who the hell is Jeff? I'm, I'm so glad I get to talk about Cox. I'm really happy. Dicks. Yay. Oh, look at it this way. The first thing we've done together as a team. I grab my dick, you grab your dick. You work my arm, I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. We're not touching dicks. Each other's dicks anyway. I'm touching my own dick. You're working it and I'm loving it. Well, enough is enough and it's time for the rundown. Welcome to the Intentionally Offensive Wrestling Podcast. It is the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, episode 383. I am your host tonight, Jason. I am flying solos. Troy is still feeling under the weather. Jeff is dealing with some uh, travel issues. And everyone else just didn't want to be on the show. Uh, But we do have a ton of stuff to cover. So despite the fact that I am all by my lonesome, I am going to bring you my takes on things that have happened in the world of professional wrestling, starting with this past weekend where we saw NXT take over Phoenix as well as the Royal Rumble. And we did a uh, deep dive into TakeOver Phoenix, and I gave my thoughts on that show last night on NXT Revisited. So I, I encourage you to go check that out uh, for those takes and that rundown. I'll give you a quick rundown of the card in case you missed it. Uh, the War Raiders defeated the Undisputed Era for the NXT Tag Team Championship in a tremendous match. Uh, Matt Riddle and Cassius Ohno had a nice match where Matt Riddle did earn the victory when Cassius Ohno tapped out. The NXT North American Championship was decided in a potential match of the year candidate when Johnny Gargano defeated Ricochet for the title. Then Shayna Baszler successfully defended the NXT Women's Championship when she put Bianca Belair to sleep. And Tommaso Ciampa retained the NXT Heavyweight Championship by virtue of defeating Aleister Black with the fairy tale ending. The final tally in terms of our predictions, Sal won TakeOver with five, Adam with four, Troy with four, myself with four, and Jeff with two because Jeff is awesome at predictions. That brings us to the Royal Rumble, and we are going to do a little more in-depth, at least uh, some general thoughts on the things that occurred in the Royal Rumble, starting with the pre-show match where Bobby Roode and Chad Gable defended, well, I shouldn't say defended, it was a non-title match against Rizar and Scott Dawson with the Pissmaster General himself, Drake Maverick. Um, So when they originally introduced this match, what they said was that Rizar... His partner is injured, and he's had surgery, and he's going to be out for a while. So Acob's off the shelf. And Scott Dawson is going to team with Rizar because if they win, then both of their individual teams will get title shots in the future, and this is a non-title match. So, of course, by following the logic that they've laid out, uh, Rudin Gable win. So what in the fuck was the point of this match? Um... The match was fine. The work was okay. Uh, I think the most memorable part of this is probably going to end up being the cameraman falling down during Rudin Gable's entrance. 
Uh, that should tell you something. But uh, all things considered, I don't understand the booking. I don't understand why the team that won won. And I don't really get what the point of this was other than to get some guys a pay-per-view appearance check. But uh, that happened. Nobody had any predictions, obviously, because we didn't know that match was going to take place until it ca- until the kickoff show started. Uh, the U.S. Championship was decided as Rusev defended the title against Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Nakamura actually scored the victory here. At one point, Lana was up on the apron berating Nakamura for being a cheater. Uh, Nakamura then stepped out of the way. Rusev ran full force into Lana, knocked her off, hurt her ankle, which would come into play later, which was a nice sort of bit of foreshadowing and using something that happened on the kickoff show to impact the main show. And we'll get into that later, but I did, I did enjoy that part of it. Um, Nakamura, of course, followed up with the Kinshasa to the back of Rusev's head while he was trying to get it, telling his wife to get up, not going out and checking on her. Uh, so in a shocking turn of events that none of us predicted, Shinsuke Nakamura regains the United States Championship uh, for at least a couple days. Uh, but more on that later. Uh, closing out the main event of the pre-show for the Royal Rumble was the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. It was Buddy Murphy defending against Akira Tozawa, Hezeo Itami, and Kalisto in a four fatal four way. Um, excellent match. The work in this was great. Uh, Jeff actually does a little bit of a recap on this week's hurry up and cruiserweight of this match. Um, the match was fantastic. There's, there's nothing you can, um, really argue with here. Uh, buddy Murphy retains. That was the right call. I don't think there's any reason to take the belt off of buddy Murphy at this point. Um, but yeah, this was, this was a great match as you would expect, uh, with these guys, uh, nothing spectacular. Not th- I mean, there were some spectacular spots, but nothing that blows you away long-term for storyline purposes. Uh, but just another good, solid cruiserweight match to, to kick off the show. So good on them for that. Uh, we then opened the show proper, and it opened with the SmackDown Women's Championship as Bes- Becky Lynch challenged Asuka for the title. Of course, these guys have, these ladies have had a little bit of history recently. It was Asuka winning the championship at TLC in a ladder match thanks to Ronda Rousey. Now, Becky was the defending champ going into that match. Asuka never beat her, and that was sort of the storyline going into this one. Fantastic match between these two, as you would expect. A lot of people called this the match of the night right off the bat, so good on them. Uh, There was some scary spots here, particularly one where they were on the apron, uh, and I don't know what happened, if it was a mess up or somebody slipped or what, but at one point it looked like they were going for a neck breaker off the apron to the floor and Becky Lynch just went down like face first to the can- to the floor. It was a little scary. Uh, she was okay. Uh, the match ended when Asuka executed the Asuka lock, but then threw in a little twist of bridging in, out of it, sort of like Charlotte does with the figure eight. Uh, really looked like it added a lot of torque. It was really visually impressive. Uh, it looked like it added a lot of torque to the neck of Becky Lynch, and then Becky had to tap out. Um, without getting too much into what's going to happen later, because I'm going to discuss that in a minute, but I wasn't really a fan of this, because I think we all know where we're going at WrestleMania with Becky Lynch. Even at this point, we knew. I don't see how she is benefited by tapping out at the Royal Rumble. I would have thought you'd be much better off, and I would have much preferred sort of the old Bret Hart, Stone Cold thing where she fights and fights and fights and fights and finally passes out, and the referee stops it. Um, but she never taps. She never gives up. Um, I, I mean, if you if you tap out to Asuka and how we've portrayed Asuka versus Ronda Rousey, I mean, it sort of makes it a little bit harder to see credibility in Becky beating Ronda Rousey. Now, 
they can rebuild it. There's plenty of time between now and then. I just think there was no reason for the tap out here. I think there were better ways. You could have still had Asuka win the match, same way like I laid it out. Just the, the Stone Cold Brett finish, I think, would have been great, and I actually think it would have helped even elevate Becky a little bit more. Um, I don't really understand the logic behind having her tap out, but I don't think long-term it does any damage to her. I just don't think it was... I think there were better ways to do it that would have played much more into what you wanted to do later, but more on that as we continue. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line. The Bar versus The Miz and Shane, now the greatest tag team in the world? Question mark? Anyway, uh, again, uh, this was probably the worst match on the Royal Rumble card. That would be my take on it, I guess. Um, There were some fun spots, um, but by and large, it was... eh, I I don't need to see Shane do those punches, like, ever again. And I especially don't need Corey to put them over like they're devastating. Uh, What was devastating, though, tremendous finishing sequence. Uh, Miz hitting the skull-crushing finale on, I believe it was Sheamus. Uh, and then Shane executing a 450 off, I'm sorry, shooting star press off the top rope. Uh, I don't recall ever seeing Shane do a shooting star. Maybe he has before, but uh, executed it perfectly and really well done on that. Uh, and Miz and Shane win the tag titles. And I think they had to as they continue this. Pro- I think you have to build up with the fans sort of a real emotional investment in these two before you do what is obviously going to happen, which is the turn and probably the match at WrestleMania. Um, and we continued that on SmackDown. But I think the Miz and Shane, in order to progress that storyline, had to win the tag titles here. So I was perfectly okay with it. Um, but I, I did think the match wasn't great and probably there were some tag teams that could have put on a better show at one of the WWE's signature events speaking of really good matches though we had one next because the Raw Women's Championship was on the line as Ronda Rousey defended against Sasha Banks this match was great to me this match really told a story uh, Ronda was clearly out there as the heavy favorite Sasha played the bit of the underdog but the underdog was some real attitude Um, They went back and forth a lot. There were some really impressive spots here. This match was clearly very well worked out. Um, Sasha, they did a lot of psychology and that Sasha made it a great point at every opportunity to avoid the armbar. So much so that she sort of took her eyes off the other things Ronda can do and ended up getting hit with the Piper's Pit and pinned 1-2-3 for Ronda Rousey's first pinfall victory in the WWE. All this time she's been here is the first time she's won by pinfall and not submission to the armbar. So Ronda Rousey retains the title after the match. They had a handshake. Uh, They go out to the outside. Sasha's leaving. She comes back. Uh, Shake hands again. And then Ronda gets the look, taking a look at Sasha, and Sasha gives her the four horsewomen symbol, and Ronda did not seem to take to it well. Sasha sort of seemed to give her a little attitude before walking off. Obviously still teasing that that storyline, but at the end of the day, I think Sasha Banks came out of this looking like a million bucks. Uh, this was thrown at her. There were a lot of people who sort of said her character has really been, been sort of minimized lately and marginalized. I think this was a big step up for her on this type of stage with this type of opponent to put on this type of performance. I think really elevated her stock, and hopefully the powers that be in the back were watching it and will give her the due she deserves going forward. That then brought us to the Women's Royal Rumble. Uh, tons of competitors that we knew, a few that we did not. Uh, Adam had picked Becky Lynch to win. Troy had picked Ronda to win. I don't. I think Troy had picked Ronda to lose her title. 
Uh, yeah, I didn't run through the predictions before, but uh, we can get to them at the end. Uh, Charlotte was the pick of Jeff and originally the pick of me, but I changed my pick later in the week to Ember Moon. Obviously, so far, Sal also picked Becky Lynch, so Sal and Adam were the only ones to get it correctly. Uh, in terms of our surprise entrance, uh, we each picked two. Adam had one of his in Rhea Ripley. I had one of mine in Candice LeRae. Uh, Sal had one of his in Io Shirai, and that was it. Uh, as for things that went on in the match, most eliminations in this Women's Royal Rumble went to Charlotte with five. The Iron Woman of this event was Natalia with at 56 minutes in the ring. Shortest time in the ring belongs to Liv Morgan. And I used the word surprises in quotes, but we did have entrants we were not aware were going to appear in the form of Zia Lee, Rhea Ripley, Maria Kanellis, Nikki Cross, Candice LeRae, Casey Cantanzaro, Becky Lynch, Io Shirai, Kyrie... Kyrie Sane and Lacey Evans. Uh, so this women's battle royal, I thought was really, really well done. I very much enjoyed it. There were some spots um, that maybe shouldn't have been in there. I first off, I don't think Troy has Lacey Evans, and as a surprise, I don't think she was a surprise. I think she announced it at Raw previously. But um, in any event, yeah, Lacey did not have a great showing. She came in at number one. Um, it was not a great coming out party for Lacey Evans. She looked sort of sloppy and, and overwhelmed by the moment out there. Um, not as much so as Zia Lee, who really didn't do much for her stock in this match. Um, there were some people I thought Nick Amber, Amber Moon didn't really eliminate anybody, but she did hang in there for a long time and later even more impressive when you find out she was dealing with uh, some elbow injury, and we'll get on to that later. So in terms of why I picked Ember to win this thing, to me it made a lot of sense because you can get to a match with Ronda and Becky and Charlotte, which is the reported main event of WrestleMania this year. Uh, you can get there a lot of different ways. They didn't need to use the Rumble to do that. But then you look over on the SmackDown side and you sort of start to wonder who is credible to take on Asuka in a match anyone will care about at WrestleMania if Becky and Charlotte are locked in with Ronda. I thought you had an opportunity to have Ember win this, move to do the SmackDown title. You have a big match with, with guys, two ladies who have history with each other and a credible top female match at, for the SmackDown brand at WrestleMania, and you can still get to the other side. That made a ton of sense to me. Now, obviously, if they knew Ember was injured going into it, it makes sense that they didn't go that route. Uh, but in any event, the winner, of course, was Becky Lynch, who came out, not originally entered in the Rumble, but when Lana came out at her spot, she was limping. Obviously, her knee injury was still bad. At one point, Nia Jax comes out while Lana's being attended to by the phys physicians. Um, Nia just beats the bag out of Lana. She doesn't really have a bag. Beats the uterus out of her. I don't know. Um, but uh, so apparently Fit Finley, who has no matchmaking authority in WWE, uh, decided that he was going to allow Becky to take Lana's spot in the Rumble. So she did. She went in and uh, ultimately it came down to Becky and, La and I'm sorry, Becky and Charlotte, as it should in this scenario. And Becky gets the win and goes on to WrestleMania. However, when you're looking at reasons to get Ronda involved, I think Charlotte has a very good case. She was the last actual confirmed entrant into the Royal Rumble to be eliminated by somebody who was not officially in the match. They didn't play up that card that let this week on TV, but I think it's probably coming. I think that was sort of an interesting way to get there. Um, I thought Nikki Cross had a nice showing in this battle royal. It was cool to see Candice LeRae, Casey Catanzaro 
did the sort of Kofi Kingston traditional spot, get on, walked on her hands to the ring post and swung herself up by the legs to up the ring post. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Naomi and Mandy Rose had a great exchange where Naomi, Naomi did her traditional, Mandy gets eliminated. Naomi does her traditional, like sort of another Kofi Kingston spot. She gets eliminated. Her feet don't touch. She goes to the barricade, climbs onto the barricade, walks to the barricade, goes through all of this, jumps to the stairs, is celebrating that she's still in this thing, and Mandy just comes over and pushes her off. It was my perhaps my favorite spot of the entire night, just on its own. I thought it was very brilliantly done, Nia, with Naomi doing all this work to avoid elimination and Mandy just ruining it for her. It fits the storyline there. We're doing very well. So... I very, very much enjoyed that. Uh, there was lots of stuff to cover in this in this thing. Um, I was a little surprised when you got towards the end uh, that it wasn't they didn't finish it with Bailey, Sasha, and it's not Bailey, Sasha, Bailey, Becky, and Charlotte. I think it would have been a nice little bit of symmetry. They'd have three of those four horsewomen as the last three. Uh, they did not go that route, obviously, but it would have been sort of cool. Uh, other than that, there were a lot of there were a lot of things that happened. Uh, I definitely suggest going back. It was definitely the better of the two Royal Rumbles, in my opinion. Uh, so go back and check that out, and uh, it, that's the one to watch if you're going to watch one out of them out of this. Uh, we then went on to the WWE Championship match as the new Daniel Bryan, and I really wish they would stop saying that in his intros. Like he he's been doing this now for like couple months it's not new anymore it's it's just daniel bryan um just call him asshole daniel bryan that'll work he defended the title against aj styles in a match that went 28 minutes and i gotta tell you it was a definite come down for the crowd after they were so pumped and they popped so hard for becky i gotta tell you watching it when becky won that felt like it should have been the end of the show that felt like the big moment uh the crowd clearly felt the same way they sat on their heads for a lot of this match uh 28 minutes of of good decent wrestling there was nothing wrong aesthetically with this match it just sort of we've seen it at this point several times uh the ending came when luke uh, i'm sorry not luke <laughs> it was eric rowan came out uh apparently now has aligned himself with aj styles and you know this because eric rowan Titantron now has a recycling symbol for the o um Came out and chokeslammed AJ Styles, and Daniel Bryan gets the win. Just sort of, again, following with the match they were following, this sort of anticlimactic finish, I just didn't think this this did much for the crowd, and uh, it didn't work out here for me, at least. But Daniel Bryan is still the WWE Heavyweight Champion. We then went on to the Universal Championship match, Brock Lesnar defending the title against Finn Balor. Um... A lot of questions going into this match. A lot of us actually on the rundown had picked Finn Balor to sort of pull the upset that we were. They did a good job of convincing us. Uh, they played the underdog card so good that they we thought they were going to do it. They were going to pull the trigger. They were going to make the switch. Adam, Troy, Jeff, and myself all had picked Finn Balor going into this one. Uh, Sal was the only one who picked Brock Lesnar, and he was the correct one. Brock Lesnar wins with the Kimura lock. Finn Balor tapped out. Uh, this was actually a tremendous match. I thought Brock, for all the things that people say about him, was very giving to Finn. I think he put over Finn like a million bucks. Finn has been 100% legitimized as a main event guy in this company, particularly as a result of this match. Uh, and the fact that he didn't tap out right away, I think, was good, too, from a uh, visual perspective. He fought it. He got close. It required everything Brock had in order to beat him. So I think this was a good look for Finn Balor. It was a good performance, a good showing, and I think it's going to build hopefully, to something huge for that guy going forward. That brought us to the Men's Royal Rumble in the main event of the evening. A uh, couple of notes 
in terms of predictions, Adam had Drew McIntyre. Troy had Roman Reigns. Sal had Seth Rollins along with myself. Jeff had Kevin Owens. Uh, in terms of our picks for surprises, uh, I had one with Pete Dunne. Uh, Matt Riddle sadly did not appear. Uh, Troy, I think, has to win it because he was correct in his Jeff Jarrett pick. I don't know how he saw that one coming. Uh, Sal was correct in Alistair Black, and that was it. So no Psycho Sid or Shawn Michaels, Jeff. Sorry about that. Most eliminations this year in the Royal Rumble was tied, actually, by Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman with each four of them. The Iron Man of this year's Rumble was Seth Rollins with 43 minutes. Shortest time, No Way Jose, two seconds, and Xavier Woods had three seconds. We also had Titus O'Neil with five seconds, and Lashley with 13 seconds, while Jinder was there for 29 seconds. So lots of quick eliminations this year in the Rumble. Um, in terms of surprises, Jeff Jarrett, Alistair Black, Pete Dunne, Johnny Gargano, and the last surprise is sort of the controversial one because at number 30, R-Truth came out, and I think we all sort of expected somebody to jump him and get involved, and maybe Kevin Owens. Who knew what was going to happen? I don't think anybody expected it to be Nia Jax that jumped him. She didn't even wait for Fit Finley to put her in the match. She just went in and took the spot. Um, and there was a lot of interest because at a certain point, she ate a super kick and an RKO and a 619. So there was intergender male-on-female violence in the Royal Rumble. Now, my opposition is not that. My opposition to this spot, and I know a lot of people were fans of it, and th there are elements of it I think you could understand and say were cool. However, my problem is, think of it this way. And we joked about it on the rundown. I think a lot of people had, had predicted it. But if our truth had gone out to the Women's Rumble at number 30 and actually eliminated a woman from the Royal Rumble and took her spot away, I think the IWC would be up in arms about how they're not taking women's wrestling seriously. This was a joke. He took a spot from a deserving woman that men have their own Rumble. The women, there's no need to utilize spots in the Women's Rumble to try to get them over. And I think all that needs to apply the other way around too. I just, I don't see what benefit did it serve to Mustafa Ali's push to be eliminated by Nia Jax? What push does, what, what does it serve to Nia Jax? She looks like a big, strong woman. She already did. I mean, unless we are going full bore with intergender wrestling in the WWE and that's going to be Nia's program heading into WrestleMania, then sure. Okay. Set it up. I get it. I, I mean, if you listen to this show, you know I'm not a fan of intergender wrestling at all. Just a personal preference. I don't like it. I think it sort of pulls the curtain back a little bit too much for my tastes. Um, but I just think this spot was was mis was was wasted on this. Um, and again, I will reserve judgment and wait and see if if it actually builds to something. Uh, but if not, I think it was definitely something I was not personally a fan of. Uh, of course, the winner of the Royal Rumble was Seth Rollins, and uh, he earned it. It was, it was. It, there were spots within here that were fine. I didn't have any issues with anything. I just, I wasn't a huge fan of this much. Certainly not as much as the Women's Rumble this year. Um, I, when term, when speaking of both Rumbles, I like the fact that they didn't go too deep into the sort of legends and surprises. They they used that opportunity to introduce. NXT stars to the WWE audience, and I think that'll only serve these NXT guys 
much better when they come up to the main roster because now they've had that exposure to some of the WWE Universe who maybe doesn't watch NXT. Um, so I think that was tremendous. Uh, the, the ovation some of these guys got, particularly Pete Dunne and Aleister Black, uh, they were over like Rover, and that's going to be something that the WWE uh, guys in the back are having their ears to and recognizing that it may be time for these guys to be a factor on the main roster. That's going to do it for our Royal Rumble recap. I encourage you to go to the rundownwrestling.com and check out the post on the Royal Rumble there. Give us your feedback. Give us your thoughts on the show. Uh, anything that you thought I haven't covered or that you'd like to hear more discussed on this show. Uh, that's our place for you to go and do that sort of stuff, and we encourage you to participate. But I don't know if uh, there were any perfect tens in this year's Royal Rumble, but there is a certain perfect ten right The perfect ten! A ten! A ten! A fucking ten! Leading off the perfect ten tonight, the Elimination Chamber match is set. The main event is going to be for the WWE Heavyweight Championship in Laughing Years. Uh, we see this match used to set the number one contender at WrestleMania for the person who is not selected by the winner of the Royal Rumble. In this case, it is not what they are doing. As Daniel Bryan is going to be defending the WWE Heavyweight Championship in the chamber against Samoa Joe, Mustafa Ali, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton, and AJ Styles. Now, the problem here is that short of Samoa Joe and Mustafa Ali and Daniel Bryan, I'm not super into Jeff Hardy anymore. I'm not super into Randy Orton at this point. And AJ's just had so many opportunities lately, and I, I don't feel like they've done a great deal with him since he left the uh, since he was dropped the championship to Daniel Bryan. I, I don't feel he's been he's come off great. This whole trying to impress Mr. McMahon thing hasn't done anything for me. Um, I'm a little nervous given Brian's history about him being in an elimination chamber match, but I, at a certain point, I think we all have to sort of start getting over that and just recognizing that he's going to be just a regular worker at this point. He's not there. They've taken the kid gloves off and he's going to go out there and do the things everyone else does. So, um, We'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, I'm a little, like I said, a little surprised this isn't like a number one contenders match and maybe take Brian out and put someone like Almas in there. Uh, we'll talk more about him in just a few minutes. But uh, on paper going into this, I don't see anybody taking that title off Brian. But uh, it could be, it, it's going to be an interesting match. That is for sure. We'll have to sit back and wait and see. Of course, the other Elimination Chamber match that night is going to be for the Women's Tag Team Championship. Our next topic, news broke late Monday night that Dean Ambrose would not be re-signing with the WWE uh, when his contract expires in April. Apparently, it turned down a very lucrative offer from Vince and the rest of the company. We also found out after Tuesday night that Hideo Itami had requested and been given his release I'm I'm a fan of Kenta. I was. I think he ne we never really saw the best of Kenta in WWE. I think that shoulder injury really sort of set him back a long time. It really hurt him in NXT because when he went out with that injury, the plan was, of course, I believe at least, to have it be Kevin Owens that attacked him in the parking lot, unless it was Johnny Gargano. Um, but no, I think it was supposed to be Owens. But by the time, because he had, you know, a setback and I think a second surgery, by the time. A time he got back, Owens was already up on the main roster, and they, they couldn't do anything with that storyline. So he just sort of he, he had a program with Bobby Roode for the championship and actually had a good match, and, and the fans got behind him a little bit. But after that, they did a heel turn that never really worked out that well. And then he went to 205 Live, and you know it just 
to happen what happens to guys on 205 Live. Um, I understand him wanting out. I think the interesting part to this is that the WWE granted him the release because in a time when they're telling the Revival no and they're trying to hold on to every piece of talent they can get, they were okay letting this guy go. And that really sort of tells you exactly what they think of him. As for Ambrose, there's a lot of speculation as to is this a storyline Maybe they're, they're building to something. And it certainly seemed like they were building towards an angle with Dean and Nia Jax. Um, after his match is over, he was sitting on a chair, sort of ready to give some sort of uh, deeply personal comments. Nia and Tamina came out for their qualifying match for Elimination Chamber. Uh, and Nia hit Dean from behind and knocked him out of the ring. There was a post-match thing on WWE.com where Dean you know, said he was accepting his apology from her and blah, 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 and we'll move on. So there may be something here. Now, I don't know if this is just Dean's farewell program and he's going to put over Nia, but if these two go into WrestleMania, I, you know, it's, I can't tell you if this is a legit release, if he's really leaving or if he's not. Uh, Dean's always sort of been the guy to march to his own drummer. The reports are that he's basically fed up with the creative and the hokey shit that they ask him to do and it would be hard to argue with that, except he was doing hokey shit when he was a WWE champion and he didn't want to leave then. So I don't know. Uh, time will tell whether this is a legit thing or part of a storyline. I've never been the biggest fan of Dean Ambrose, and uh, but if there's anybody who would certainly turn down a multi-million or a very lucrative contract offer, I should say that, uh, to walk away, Dean Ambrose seems like the type of guy who would just sort of do that because it's the thing he wants to do. I don't think he. I think he goes to uh, his own beat. And I think we'll have to sit back and wait and see how this whole thing plays out. Next up, Seth Rollins finished off his feuds. And this sort of ties into Dean Ambrose on Monday night. Dean Ambrose came out and demanded a match with Seth Rollins as Seth was celebrating his victory in the Royal Rumble. Uh, Dean asked for the match. Triple H said he was going to take it under advisement. Uh, And then Dean said, well, what are you going to ask your father-in-law? And Hunter goes to leave and the crowd says, yes, he does. That chant explodes. Of course, Hunter has been provoked now, so he makes the match. Uh, The match was actually probably one of the best matches Ambrose and Seth have had since this storyline started. Um, I enjoyed the match more than I've enjoyed any of them, to be honest with you. And this was finally like, oh, so this is what these guys can do together uh, when they're focused and, and everything's on. Uh, Seth got the win and sort of walked away, and I guess the logic here being that he's probably done with Rollins and done with this feud at this point. So he has bigger and better things to move on to as we head into WrestleMania, and we'll talk a little bit about that later as well. Next up, in a new in a piece of news that makes me incredibly happy, on SmackDown this week, it looks like we finally saw... Well, I didn't say finally. It looks like we've seen that the story between... Andrade and Rey Mysterio is going to continue. Rey came out for his match on SmackDown, and I really wish we had found out who he was supposed to face because we never actually found out. Uh, As he was waiting in the ring for his opponent, Andrade came out from both. Vega came out, cut a promo on him from the ramp. As he was focused on her, Andrade came in from the crowd, beat the crap out of Rey, left him laying. And I got to tell you, I am thrilled that this storyline is continuing because this has been one of my favorite programs to watch on WWE television. These two have amazing chemistry in the ring together, and anything that gets them in the ring together a little bit more often is something I am perfectly okay with.
Not everything in the world of WWE is all good, though, as our next topic brings us to one Mr. Chris Jericho, who did not seem to enjoy the Royal Rumble as much as some of us did, as he went on a bit of a tweeting spree during the Royal Rumble, uh, giving us the following tweet saying, Hey, at WWE, at Ring of Honor, and at Impact Wrestling, I love watching you push all of your randoms, but just know that we're interested in maybe six to eight of your talents total. We don't need you. Now, uh, I, Jericho showed up late at the press conference, but maybe he's not aware that he's not an executive in this company. He's talent. So he doesn't need to be saying who they are or are not interested in. Um, he certainly doesn't need to be calling other guys on a roster randoms. That's sort of shitting on the boys, which is uh, something that you claim to continue to be a part of, being part of the boys. Um so I think that was pretty fucking petty of Chris Jericho, uh, who's really sort of becoming a bit of a piece of shit lately. Uh, I was always a fan of him, but he, and he's always been sort of an ego in the business. Uh, but now he's just sort of reaching the point of being unbearable. He continued on. Intimidation and fear goes a long way in our business, guys. But let's be honest, at Brock Lesnar needs to pull up his pants and lose the gut. The dream is over, dude. I don't play by the script. Um... If anybody watched Chris Jericho at the last Wrestle Kingdom event, um, he should be the last one telling anybody to lose the gut. That's all I'm saying. Pot, this is the kettle. You're black. Uh, Brock Lesnar is in significantly better shape at this point in his career and life than Chris Jericho is. Uh, Somebody accused him of drunk tweeting. He said, not drunk at all. Uh, And then he said he wasn't interested in... And he, I believe, was going back to another promotion. Um, all things told, if you're the guys running All Elite Wrestling and you're looking at this, you cannot be happy with Chris Jericho at this point. I, I mean, what is, the, what is the benefit to this? You're, you're shitting on other guys in, in the other promotions, guys who at some point, even if at right now you're not interested in them, you may be somewhere down the road, so why shit on them now? Uh, there, there's some speculation that he's intentionally trying to get people interested in a match between him and Brock Lesnar. Listen, I don't care if Lesnar went to AEW. I wouldn't be interested in seeing 50-year-old Chris Jericho face Brock Lesnar. It just It's not a match that's interesting. Um, I understand that Jericho doesn't have the ability to recognize that somebody might not be interested in watching him compete, but I'm just not interested in seeing that match. Uh, All things considered, just a really bad look in the way you relate to the other guys in the locker room uh, to to conduct your business like that on Twitter. But Chris Jericho has never been one to worry about what we think. So I'm sure he doesn't now. Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch is on for WrestleMania, at least as of now. If you watched on Monday night, it was interesting. Because uh, at the beginning of the show, Seth Rollins was said, told he had to choose who he would be facing at WrestleMania by the end of the night, and that Becky would make her choice on SmackDown the following night. Well, Ronda issued an open challenge. It was accepted by Bailey, one of the worst uh, opening promo segments ever uh, for Ronda. Got totally rattled and flustered by the crowd, clearly lost what she was trying to say, uh, had trouble finding it again. They had to send out Bailey early to save a promo segment. That should tell you something. Um, they did have a match. The match was a little bit, it looked a little disjointed, a little sloppy. I don't think these two were on the same page. Um, the finish was fantastic. Ronda running up the ropes as Bailey was perched, hitting the arm bar and pulling her off the ropes into the arm bar. Just a tremendous finish. Uh, Ronda gets the win while she's celebrating. 
Becky Lynch's music hits. Now, also, as Becky was coming to the ring, and the cameras on Raw didn't seem to catch this, but some other fans' cams did. Uh, Becky flashes the four horsewomen symbol to Bailey, who flashes it back. So that was kind of a cool moment. Um, Becky gets in the ring, proceeds to shit all over Ronda, and tells Ronda that she has picked her. So the SmackDown star, uh, the Raw star is in Seth Rollins is challenging for the Raw championship. Uh, the Raw... The SmackDown star and Becky Lynch, who won a Rumble, is challenging for the Raw championship. Uh, and instead of announcing it on SmackDown, she's announcing it on Raw, because fuck SmackDown. This really left SmackDown on Tuesday night without anything to draw people in. There wasn't much uh, going into this show. Like, if they had left this Becky announcement for SmackDown, I think you would have had a lot more people interested in tuning into SmackDown to see what she was going to say. I understand you want the moment with her and Ronda, and it actually was great because Ronda's promo afterwards, after Becky was talking, was just fantastic. I mean, Ronda, I think Ronda's off the cuff and just feeding off the emotion. She can be really good. Uh, it's when she tries to be scripted and try to remember lines that Ronda struggles. But um, yeah, I felt like this did a disservice to SmackDown a little bit. The segment was great. I, as soon as Ronda dropped her mic and left, you sat there and looked at this and went, this is the main event of WrestleMania. There's nothing I want to see on this card more than this match. Um, there is still word that apparently the plan is still to include Charlotte and make this a triple threat. I already told you in my Rumble React how I think that can happen. Um, I don't know. There is definitely a part of me, and we'll get into it, that I think there's other stuff Charlotte could do and that maybe would be a better fit. But uh, in this particular case, if this is a triple threat, I think uh, I'd be there for that as well. But I, I'm definitely there for the idea of Ronda and Becky main eventing WrestleMania, especially after this segment. I didn't even know how bad I wanted to see that match until these two came face to face last Monday. So while Becky didn't announce who she would face at uh, on SmackDown this week, we did get something on SmackDown as we were unveiled. Daniel Bryan's got wood. That's right. Daniel Bryan, after a couple months of promising to redo the WWE Championship to make it more eco-friendly, lived up to that promise on Tuesday night as he unveiled his new championship belt made of hemp as the strap and wood as the centerpieces and side medallions. Um, this, of course, got a lot of reaction, as you can imagine, on the, on the internet. Uh, lots of people loved it. Lots of people hated it. And I can only tell you that if you hated it, it accomplished its goal because it was supposed to piss you off. Uh, I thought this was really cool. I, I don't like the belt at all. My only caveat here is that when somebody finally knocks off Daniel Bryan, they're going to have to celebrate with that belt for one night before they get the good belt back. Um, but other than that, I thought this was tremendous. I like the little stones that they have in, in place of the diamonds. And every little, it seems like every little detail was covered in making this belt. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think, I, you know, I'm not usually a fan of switching belts for personalities, but this character now has taken on such a larger-than-life personality as the environmentalist that it didn't make a ton of sense for him to come around with a cowhide belt, uh, it, it, this is fitting. This this definitely fits within the flow of the character development. It's not sort of pigeonholing, you know, a Brahma Bull championship belt on him just because he has a Brahma Bull tattoo. This actually makes sense, so I'm okay with it. And I thought the belt was actually kind of cool. It's it's ugly, but it's it's ugly in a way it's supposed to be ugly. So I, I'm cool with it. I liked it. 
Uh, I thought the segment was really good. I just don't see much value long-term in Rowan as the muscle here uh, unless they develop this into a group and he's just a part of it. But as a one-two act, I'm, I'm not a fan personally. Um, that's going to bring us to our next topic. Speaking of champions, a new U.S. champion is what's up because <laughs> this is a strange turn of events. On SmackDown Tuesday night, R-Truth, because he was uh, not allowed to compete in the Royal Rumble, thanks to Nia Jax, was granted a U.S. title match against the brand-new champion Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, the match ended on a, on a very weird thing. It's like a backslide, and then there was a count, and it looked like it was three, but nobody seemed to react like it was three, except Kyoto said it was three. And then they just randomly handed the belt to R-Truth and announced him as champion. And then Rusev, the face, comes out. And him and him and R-Truth get into it. And Carmella and Lana get into it. And Lana, who's limping on a quote-unquote broken ankle, gets shoved by Carmella because Carmella's the face. And then Rusev challenges R-Truth to a championship match. And he's, okay, so we're going to put the title back on Rusev. But no, R-Truth beats Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura in the same night. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of this. Uh, this this is one of those ones that definitely comes out of nowhere. Uh, I, I We talked about the devaluing in the past of the United States Championship. I don't think this helps it. Uh, you just had Rusev win the title from Nakamura. Then Nakamura inexplicably wins it back at the Royal Rumble. And now... It's dropped in like a tiny quick match on, on SmackDown out of nowhere to R-Truth. I, I want this title to have prestige and have value and, and have the kind of importance it had when John Cena was doing the U.S. Open challenges. Uh, I just don't see it right now. And this is not even a knock on R-Truth because I don't hate R-Truth with the passion that everyone else on this feed does. Um, but I, I can definitely not wrap my mind around why we're doing this with the U.S. title when there's so many talented guys who could actually push this title and make this title something that is coveted. Um, this seems like a definite waste of a championship and maybe just a sort of lifetime achievement award title run for our truth but hopefully it's not a particularly long one. I'm okay with it in a very, very short burst, but he should be losing that by Elimination Chamber. Next topic. This week uh, it seemed like heel turns were the new big thing because... We definitely had Rusev turn heel on SmackDown, and we definitely had Elias turn heel on Raw. And for my money, watching Raw, I saw a lot of heel tendencies starting to come out of Ronda Rousey. Um, she didn't seem to be too thrilled with the reaction the fans were giving her. And all things considered, I thought she sort of played the heel for Becky in that segment. So... This seems weird because we go so, through such long periods where nobody really changes and there's no real character development. And then it's like, at a certain point, Vince just goes, ah, right, we need to start changing people. And then everybody changes at once. And this is the second time I think we've had a group of these turns all at once. I think last time was uh, around the time Lashley turned. Um, it's just a little weird to me, and I don't really understand the logic. I, I get Elias's heel turn. I'm there for Elias's heel turn. Um, I think he's much better as a heel. I don't see any reason for him to be a face. Uh, and I think even as a heel, he's still going to get really strong crowd reactions because he was doing that before he turned face. In the case of Rusev, I don't fucking get this because you have a guy who's engaging and talented and funny and people like him. So of course we're going to turn him heel, which is 
what he was when he had very limited success. And when we turned him face and people just sort of organically started to like him, we never really did anything with him. So fuck it, let's just turn him heel. This is the kind of stuff that makes it hard for these guys to gain footing and really do anything long-term because there's not enough attention paid to detail and continuity with their characters. I think this is a mistake. I don't think it's going to benefit Rusev, and I think it puts him in a bad position. As for Ronda, we're going to have to wait and see. I think a heel Ronda would be fantastic. She needs to come out with less smiling anyway, and that would give her a reason to do that. I'm all on board for a Ronda heel run. Uh, We'll see how it plays out as we lead into WrestleMania. That brings us to our main event of this show. And the question, and I was interested to hear how the other guys would react, but nobody was available tonight. So I guess I'm going to have to answer my own question because the question was, where do you see the SmackDown titles going for WrestleMania? And by that, I mean, who are we going to have these matches with? Like I said earlier, I thought the Elimination Chamber would sort of determine who was Brian's challenger at WrestleMania, but we didn't even get that because it's going to be the championship defended in the chamber. So I really don't know where we go with Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. Um, There are certainly a couple of options. You have two pay-per-views in between. There is the opportunity to turn someone like Andrade Almas and maybe put him in that spot. Um, We have seen Mustafa Ali score a pinfall victory on Daniel Bryan on TV that was never really paid off with a title match. So perhaps that's an option. Uh, Joe would be great, but Joe is a heel. And I don't think he needs to lose any more championship matches. I think AJ has been done to death. I don't think Orton brings a whole lot of excitement. I don't think Hardy does either. So I'm sort of at a loss at where we go here unless somebody comes over from Raw or we get a debut from NXT. I'm I'm really sort of curious to see where we're going here. I would not at all hate seeing Mustafa Ali in that spot. I was really of the belief that I thought it would be great if Seth Rollins won the Royal Rumble and decided to do the match with Daniel Bryan. I thought there were guys you could move on the Raw side and put into a storyline with um, Brock Lesnar, that wouldn't require Seth's winning to, to go for that title, but that's not the way they're going. Um, if we're talking about Raw guys who could come over, I think Brian versus Balor would be a money program. Um, but again, how do you get there logically at this point? I don't, This late into the game as we head into WrestleMania season, I don't know. Uh, if I had to bet, I'll put money on it being Orton because I think they just trust Orton in those types of programs, even though he just recently turned heel and now seems to be acting like a face. Um, I did not like the treatment, by the way, of Mustafa Ali on SmackDown. I think you had him eliminated by Nia Jax, and he sort of has to wear that as it is. And then as he's coming to the ring and trying to make his case, Randy Orton just shits all over him. And then Samoa Joe comes out and ethers him. And to be fair, I mean, Joe ethered everybody in that segment. He was amazing. Um, But I don't think any any good was done to Ali uh, on SmackDown. I think the vets sort of buried him a little bit in that segment. Uh, As for the Women's Championship, I already said earlier I thought it should have been Ember Moon with Asuka. But if we really buy into the notion of Becky and Ronda as being big enough to main event by themselves, and I think that is definitely something you could do, Maybe we go with Charlotte and Asuka in a rematch from last year for the SmackDown Championship because I don't see anybody else on that SmackDown roster that is credible to be a world championship match at WrestleMania against Asuka. So I could definitely see a scenario where they do the rematch and the scenario is played out in reverse. I mean, Asuka's not undefeated this time, but it's Asuka defending the title against Charlotte. Um, i trying to get her revenge and you know, avenge her loss from the year before. So I guess that would make some sense. It might be the best option, but as they continue to say, it looks like it's going to be a triple threat with Ronda, Becky and Charlotte and all the seeds have been planted for that. If that is true, you really have to start wondering who 
is going to be challenging for that SmackDown Women's Championship. If you guys have any ideas on who should challenge for these titles, I encourage you to go into the comments section if you're listening to this on our website or go to rundownwrestlingnetwork.com and check out the uh, comments section and let us know who you think should be challenging for those titles. And uh, we'll bring it up on the show. We'll talk to you about it. Sorry, rundownwrestling.com. Uh, we will bring it up on the show, and we'll be happy to pass along your thoughts. It is the home of the Rundown Wrestling Network, rundownwrestling.com. That is going to do it for our perfect 10. Uh, I'm not going to run through all the indie dates because I'm by myself, but I will tell you about the ones that I'm involved in. Atlantic Pro Wrestling returns on Saturday night, February 16th, with another great night of wrestling action as we present Full Force Elimination 8. We have a triple main event as the vacant APW New England Championship will be decided as Big Break and Brad Hollister takes on Demon Ortiz. In a no-holds-barred street fight, DTF Dan Terry takes on the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo. And in a last-woman-standing match for the vacant APW Women's Championship, the Widow Belmont with Ed Hunt takes on Vanity Vixen. We are also going to see Corin Mink versus Adira and the full force elimination series where five on five elimination style bouts will take place. The winners from both of the two matches will move on to the final full force elimination finals later in the night. The first match will feature team Ike as it's Ike Royce Bishop, Sean Leiter, Kevin Giles and Marcus Santiago as they take on Team Bugsy, Bugsy Stone, Stiff Mike, Cousin Larry, Derek Simonetti, and Insane Dick Lane. In the second match, it is Team American Made, Big Gun Jim Sargent, the son of the gun Jake Sargent, Mass Appeal Travis Gillette, and third generation Nick Curry, joined by Cicero as they take on Team Venom, Champagne Joe Moakley, the Mad Dog Margarici, Owen Brody, the Canadian legend Matt Loudon, and the Sheik Abdullah Hassan. Get your tickets now. Online, you can go to Atlantic Pro Wrestling on Facebook for more information. Tickets are $12 at the door. Advanced general admission tickets are $10. Reserved front row seats are $15. Reserved second row seats are $12. And reserved front and second row also receive early admission. Doors open at 6 p.m. Bell time is 6.30. And I actually believe front row has sold out. I believe that was announced this week. So get your tickets. They are going fast. Then I want to encourage you to come out and join us as the Bell Time Club and Dante Luna team up to bring live professional wrestling to the Malden Irish American Club on Wednesday, February 20th for February vacation. Doors open at 6 and bell time is at 7 p.m. The main event for the El Mundo Heavyweight Championship. The mass hole Mike McCarthy makes his first defense against the underground king Slick Wagner Brown. In other matches, Toto Loco takes on the professional Channing Thomas. Dandy Man takes on the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo. For the El Mundo Tag Team Championships, the prize Alec Price and Edgardo Montoyo defend those belts against Bugsy Stone and Big Bear. The test of strength heavyweight champion will be defended as Bobby Ocean puts the title on the line against DTF Dan Terry. Bo Douglas and Jason Rumble team up to take on the Middlesex Express and the first ever Kowalski Classic Tag Team Royale. Plus many more matches to be announced. We have a pre-sale special. You can order custom tickets featuring various wrestlers on the show. Pay with Cash App, Venmo, or PayPal. $10 pre-sales, $15 at the door. Front row seats are first come first serve. Only 150 tickets are available, so get yours now. You can contact Dante Luna or you text 617-444-9196 for tickets. Liberty States Wrestling and Ring of Honor star the Kingpin Brian Maloney
Jonas are partnering with the Pinkerton Academy Class of 2019 to bring pro wrestling back to Derry, New Hampshire on Saturday night, March 30th, 2019. You'll see all the stars of Liberty States Wrestling plus some special guests. Tickets for Astromania are on sale at astromanialsw.com. General admission floor seats are $20. General admission bleachers are $15. If you get advanced tickets, you also get into the door early on the day of the show. Currently for the show, we have announced the Ring of Honor superstars, the Bouncers, the Kingpin, Brian Malonis, and the Beer City Bruiser, Pickerton Academy graduate, the unequaled one, Todd Sopel, Liberty State's heavyweight champion, Vern Vicala, the Mill City Hooligans, Chase Del Monte, and the Logan Brothers, Robo, the Punjabi Lion, Cam Zagami, fabulous Johnny Vegas, not America's sweetheart, Davian, Setherin, the Widow Belmont, Nico Silva, that guy, Scotty Slade, and many, many more. That's going to do it for the rundown for this Thursday, January 31st. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Rundown Podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rundownwrestling. Email the show at rundownwrestling at gmail.com. We are now on Instagram, instagram.com slash rundownwrestling, or leave us a voicemail at 617-863-6967. That is 61rundown7. We are on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash rundownwrestling and become a patron. All patrons receive early access to shows on the Rundown feed as well as original content. We encourage you to check out our website, rundownwrestling.com, for information on all of our great shows, such as the Nitromania podcast, Hurry Up and Cruiserweight, Making the Grade, NXT Revisited, Ring of Honor's Dishonorable Discharge, and WrestleMania Salvation. Listen to our friends The Kingpin, Brian Malonis, and Mike Crockett on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing with new podcasts every Monday. Go to facebook.com slash thewpan or thewpan.com. Uh, encourage you to go check out this week's edition in particular. I was a special guest, very honored to be on with both Crockett and Malonis discussing the goats of professional wrestling and the value of championships in the world of professional wrestling. Also, check out our friend Justin Michaels on his show, Yesterland Waltz. Go to yesterlandwaltz.com or watch it on your Roku through RNTV app or the 24-7 Retro app. We are a fan of audio D&D campaigns. Check out our friends, the Dire Weasels. You can go to their website, direweasels.podbean.com or follow them on Twitter at Dire Weasels. Follow our hosts, myself at jstuart0920, that's J-S-T-U-A-R-T-0920, at Rockstar Troy, at Joker's Wild, W-Y-L-D-702, at WrestleMania Sal, at The Salzer Effect, at Realist Tommy, at Making the Grade, at Nitromania Pod, at Hurry Up and Cruiser, and of course, as always, at Johnny Analog. Thanks to all of you for listening through this shitstorm of, of an episode. Thanks to, I have no co-hosts, so I'm not thanking them. Thanks to myself for the theme song, I guess. Next week, we will try to get through an episode with a co-host, but that is going to do it for this, and we will see you next Thursday. This has been a production of the Rundown Wrestling Network. If you are interested in having your podcast join the Rundown Wrestling Network, please email us via rundownwrestling at gmail.com for more information. Thank you for listening. <laughs>